Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. The Bay Area is home to some pretty badass poets. Last year on the podcast, we spoke to one poet whose words really stuck with the team. So this week, we're revisiting that convo. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome in. This is Right Nowish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, coming to you to talk about how we talk about things. People, places, our earth, and our experience on it. At the intersection of environmental justice and language is Teresa Siangatonu, an internationally recognized poet from the Bay Area who has family roots in Samoa. If you are from the Bay, then you do know Tongans. Like, there's a high chance you've, you're, you grew up next to them. There's a big Tongan community in East Oakland, in Redwood City, San Mateo. Like, so how do we expand our empathy to really sit with, okay, like, let's learn more about what this community is holding in this moment. We talk community and climate change, poetry in the Pacific Ocean, natural disasters, and knowing your neighbors right now-ish. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. For those who don't know, there was an underwater volcanic eruption um, right on the coast of the island and kingdom of Tonga in the Pacific in Oceania. And it was so ginormous that it reverberated across numerous islands and even off the coast of California. There was minor flooding in Santa Cruz County, for instance. This happened in January 2022. I saw a lot of Tongan friends of mine and just community um, really nervous about not getting a hold of family members on island. Um, And then I also saw just the power of the Pacific, of the ocean herself in terms of how the waves of eruption like that could reach our coast here in the U.S., here in California, right? And it speaks to this notion that I hold with me all the time that Hawaiian scholar activist 
uh, poet, how Nani K. Trask talks about in her work, upon the survival of the Pacific depends the survival of the world. Because so many times the world kind of relegates us to the margins of their consciousness, of world maps, and forgets that there are people from, from water like my people, that people only hear about when it comes to natural disasters or hear about when it comes to tragedy. You know, what happens in the Pacific should matter to all of us. When I thought about speaking to you, it was about how can we keep this story alive, make sure that it's not just something tragic happens and we gloss over it and we move on because we know that this will impact people for some time to come. So how, how do you keep that in people's foresight? So your point of like, how do we keep it relevant? How do we keep it, you know, on people's consciousness? I think social media helps that a lot. So right now there's a lot of relief efforts happening to support those in Tonga. So a lot of flyers going around about donation sites. And then I think it's also a, a great time to talk about what do people know about Pacific Islanders outside of devastation and climate change, outside of you know your honeymoon vacations. I think it's a good time to always talk about that. But if we're talking about you know what happened in Tonga, let's let's talk about Tongans. Let's talk about how the Pacific migration even came to the U.S. Like, let's have more nuanced conversations about it. I think art helps that. And so I think my lane, all the, a lot of the times, is to help language and, and stand in the gap um, between what people know, what people don't know, what people need to know, and using art. All right, so growing up out here in the Bay Area, we've got folks from all over. Neighbors are often impacted by things happening on the other side of the world. And you use your art to help people see that. One piece I see you doing that in is your poem titled Atlas. You wrote that over five years ago, but it still has huge implications today. So many of us come from water, but when you come from water, no one believes you. Colonization keeps laughing. Global warming is grinning all at your grief. How you mourn the loss of a home that isn't even gone yet, that no one believes you're from. Growing up again in the Bay Area, I'm so uh, accustomed to identifying with land. If I know somebody from the neighborhood, it's Chris from 73rd. You know, like he's from a piece of land. But I don't even talk about the creek that runs through his neighborhood or the body of water that the community was built around. And so this Atlas poem, you do a, a wonderful job of identifying water with people. Do people receive it that way? You really hitting it on the head with the reasons I wrote it, like... And, and, and really ex expanding our notions of where we come from, that not all of us just come from land, but that it is the water that surrounds us too, and it runs through us and our communities. Because I come from an island and my community comes from an island, water is of importance to us in those ways. But water is important to all of us. I think being from the Bay, like we are water people. <laughs> We're like right here on California's coast. And, and how much do we know about the quality of, of the water right here in our backyards? everyone is beginning to hear more about your islands, but only in the context of vacations and honeymoons, football and military life, exotic women, exotic fruit, exotic beaches, but never asks about the rest of its body. I don't even think people realize that Samoa is actually two separate islands because of colonization and that the Eastern Island called American Samoa is a U.S. territory. I don't think a lot of people even know that. Right? I don't even think people know what a U.S. territory is, um, which isn't to shame them because I once didn't know it either. And so my hope is for people to at least get curious. Um, 
I don't expect people to be experts and be like supremely knowledgeable about who Samoans are. So much about being Samoan um, can also be linked directly to what it means to be American. I say that because of our high rates in the U.S. military. I say that because so much of people's touch point in, into who Samoans are are through the NFL, that we have a high rates of scouts and recruiters coming straight to American Samoa to recruit boys off the island to be drafted into the NFL. I want people to care enough about helping to connect those dots for themselves because there's a deep colonial history to why that is, why Samoans are who we are. When people ask me where I'm from, they don't believe me when I say water. So instead, I tell them that home is a machete and I belong to places that don't belong to themselves anymore. Broken and butchered places that have made me a hyphen of a woman, a Samoan American that carries the weight of both colonizer and colonized, both blade and blood. It sometimes feels like the hyphen itself is like this bridge with no railings. So you just don't know if you're safe. You don't know how to traverse it all the time. And I think part of being a bicultural kid in diaspora is that I am always yearning for a sense of belonging in being Samoan enough to, to claim my Samoan identity, but sometimes not feeling adequate in living up to what that means because of things like language loss and how I don't fully know my language anymore or I never learned it because my family was in survival mode when you know they immigrated here and thought oh, teaching me English was going to be more helpful for, for me and my upbringing. It's also rejecting my Americanness sometimes because of U.S. imperialism and how much it has desecrated, <laughs> um, not just the Pacific, but so many of our countries. And so sometimes like that identity is so hard for me to really reckon with. And so it then made it so that I got deeper into exploring my indigeneity as a Samoan. And also like, you know, making peace with maybe I live on this hyphen, like maybe um, it's not a matter of like equalizing my Samoanness and my Americanness. And I just stand on this hyphen and write my poems <laughs> from here um, over the water. <laughs> California nestled on the western coast of the most powerful country on the planet, Samoa. An island so microscopic on a map, it's no wonder people doubt its existence. California, a state of emergency away of having the drought ridded of all its water, Samoa. A state of emergency away of becoming a saltwater cemetery if the waters don't stop rising. Since writing this piece four years ago. Um, five, yeah, over five, five years. years it's almost over five years ago. Yeah. And where is it taking you? It was one of the poems that I took with me to the UN Conference on Climate Change in Paris, where the Paris Agreement was was created back in 2015. It, it has been the, the door that has remained open to many opportunities that I've gotten to expand the conversation of who Pacific Islanders are, what is at stake and what is the cost of not knowing what's, um, what's happening in the Pacific in terms of the climate and why people should care. And so um, that little poem uh, means a lot to me. <laughs> a little poem. You can't just, no, 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 not a little poem at all. You presented it in front of the United Nations. Like, what What did that feel like? It felt exhilarating because, you know, it's a global stage. Like, people came from around the world to spend a few weeks together to talk about how are we going to get ourselves out of this climate devastation? Um, what are our best solutions? I am grateful for 
the times in which I can share work about the Pacific, about being Samoan, something that maybe they didn't have any knowledge of before that that poem. Um, and I'm always just thankful and grateful for those opportunities to to share work in those ways. But there is this element of tokenization that happens often. People want to hear your story to an extent. They they for sure want to hear the the tragic, traumatic parts of it, so that we can feel something, so that we can be stirred up any with emotions in order to get people to to care and get people to change and get people to act. But then there's like this gross feeling to it sometimes too, where it's like mm, like there's this extraction, which is ironic, right? Um, around like extracting people for <laughs> their their trauma for their most devastating parts and not like seeing them as these whole human communities that deserve more. Uh, And so these climate convenings are interesting in those ways. And so I tend to just try to manage how much energy I give to who and why we're in a community. It's like trying to heal the system within the system. I mean, we don't even have to be at a national, at a global convening to, to feel that. I think that's a daily thing for me. Like ask more questions about like, what are people's intentions? Um, Am I clear on my own values? Am I aligned with them? You mentioned value. How do you show your value as an artist in this line of work? There was a moment where I was in a, some kind of Bay Area organizing space in which um, the facilitator was asking us like what our values were and, and asking us more importantly, like, do we know what our values are? Do we, and how do we know what they are? And she was asking us, like, do you write them down? Do you review them? Do you adjust them? And I had to get real with myself around, like, no, I don't do a lot of those things. I think we, in our head, theoretically, it's like, yeah, I have values. Of course I have. Who do you think I am? But it's like, oh, but how do I measure if I'm living aligned with my values? My mentality is always village-centered, um, and it's how I know the deepest parts of who I am as an individual. Like really using that that knowledge of, of who I am and what my values are for every decision I was making or I make as an artist. Trying to like discern between like, okay, how can I give but not pour myself until I'm empty? <laughs> you know, like how, how can I also get real with my capacity? I think it's a daily practice and I, I'm not an expert at it at all. I think every day I'm trying to figure out how to do it better. <laughs> Man, I never write down my values. As much as I write, I we, that, it's, it's like a duh. I write everything else down, to-do list, shopping list, anything else that's like a targeted intention. Now that we're talking about it, I actually should revisit it because I haven't looked at them in a while. <laughs> I mean, and it makes sense to revisit it now as you take on new journeys, right? Right. <laughs> Speaking of the new work and what you're working on now, what, what what's brewing in the lab? The main project I'm, I'm really um, putting a lot of my heart into is a, a young adult novel um, that I'm writing. My protagonist being a Samoan girl from the Bay who's just grappling with um, why climate change should matter to her in her life. Um, she, she isn't as clear of like why she should care about it, but not realizing that climate change really cares about her and is really invested in her, her community, the environmental racism she experiences. What's the difference between talking to a young adult and talking to the United Nations? I've held writing residencies throughout the Bay. Um, I've watched their brilliant minds connect dots in real time where I'm like, oh, they care. Like young people care a lot, actually. Not only do they care, they have a lot of anxiety, um, this current generation, around the f- their future, around their future, the future of the planet. But like what what planet will there be to carry out their dreams if we don't 
if we don't pay attention to this now, but also if we don't um, have them at the front leading us in this. And so young people are the reservoir of hope and they hold the hope for all of us. There is something that about writing towards towards young people and writing for young people that um, keeps my humanity intact too, where I'm like, no, young people are the, the reason, the truth, <laughs> and why I'm even taking on this challenge to, to language these books. You use this term so gracefully, language, to language something. Yeah. I like it. I'm, I'm going to start saying it. But what does it mean? Oftentimes I'm reminded that like when many colonizers came for our land, what they also attempted to come for is our language and our ability to communicate with one another, to pass down history, to pass down tradition, our culture. Um, a lot of that was was um, what our colonizers try to strip from us as well, because they knew. They knew to do so would be to really prevent us from surviving. When I write is when I feel the most free and when I feel the most capable of imagining what our collective liberation could look like, what justice could feel like. And so the act of languaging is, you know, it, it takes up space in, in ways where I'm like, it accompanies me <laughs> um, on this journey in a lot of ways. And I owe, I owe a lot to my ancestors for, you know, like letting me inherit the gift of writing and the gift of languaging. Do you ever think of yourself as a climate changer? Yeah, I do now. It took me a while to really own that I'm an environmentalist or I'm a climate change um, organizer because I thought I had a perception of like, you had to <laughs> care about this work in a particular way to deem yourself as a real and true climate changer. <laughs> um but then I realized, like, not only do I think that's not true, we're literally running out of time. So I don't actually care. I'm just going to put my head down and do my work in this one narrow lane that I know how to do it well in and trust that enough of us are doing that work, too, and trust that enough of us are in our own lanes with our own gifts, trying our best to try everything. Teresa Siangatonu, I can't thank you enough. I personally needed this conversation as a writer. It was a lesson on multiple ways that one can take their craft and do some good in the world. So thank you for your work, for your time, and for sharing a bit of your story and the stories you're working on. Follow Teresa's journey in languaging our experiences on Instagram at Teresa Siangatonu. That's all one word. I'll spell it for you. That's T-E-R-I-S-A, last name, S-I-A-G-A-T-O-N-U. Also, be on the lookout for her forthcoming books. Marisol Medina-Cadena is the producer of this show. Jessica Plachik is the editor. Our engineer is Seal Mother. Justin Ebrahimi and Rhea Garewal are the engagement specialists. Our engagement intern is Ashley Ng. Our production intern is Corey Antonio Rose. Kiana Mogadam is senior producer of podcasts. KQED execs are David Marcus and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, asking that in addition to hugging a tree, take some time to go listen to the water. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetta from Throughline. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.